Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. My name is Matthew DeMello. I'm senior editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Eyal Rob, Vice President of Business Development and Sales for Riskified, a publicly traded SaaS company that specializes in fraud and chargeback prevention. On today's episode, Eyal talks about the impact of AI in preventing forms of e-commerce fraud, including using merchant goodwill policies against them, such as what, such as what gets called empty box fraud. Because of the multiple layers and players in e-commerce, many of these applications bear striking resemblance to others in KYC compliance and financial services and predictive maintenance. Today's episode is sponsored by Riskified and part of a four-episode series focusing on data challenges in retail and e-commerce. We'll be featuring guests Instacart COO Asha Sharma, Gap Incorporated Senior Vice President and Head of Asset Protection Chris Nelson, and Etsy Vice President of Analytics and Strategic Finance Gerald Vandenberg in future episodes. More on when those episodes debut at the end of our program, but without further ado, here's mine and Eyal's conversation. Eyal, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Hey, thanks, Matthew. It's great to be here. So what are the main issues facing e-commerce retailers pertaining to online policies? The way I think about it today is basically you have kind of, if you think about what's happening on to e-commerce merchants today, holistically, you're dealing with three groups. First group is the merchants. Obviously, they want to sell as much as possible and you know produce revenue. The second group is the consumers, which are basically you know trying to purchase and uh, whatever they are looking for. And then you have the third group, which kind of creates the noise, are the abusers. A small group that connects to impersonates as consumers and creates a lot of noise in the system, right? And then mm-hmm. When you think of what a merchant has to do in order to deal with those two groups, basically, is they have to implement policies that kind of protect the good consumers, gives them good customer experience, provides good service, so they become long-term customers and try to sift out abuse. It's a hard problem. It's easier said than done. And if you're not optimized, as a merchant to handle this, and it's a tough problem, we can get into it in a few minutes, then you basically have a too high cost of doing business where a lot of, you incur a lot of losses that are unnecessary. It's usually hidden in a lot of your areas in the business, and you're losing at the end a lot of your bottom line um, cost of doing business or just money. Right, right, right. And there's a, a few forms that e-commerce fraud can take, and I find them very interesting, especially around Christmas time, in which we're recording this. This will, this will, of course, be published far later, but I think these are very telling, especially around Christmas time. But there's using merchant goodwill policies against them or, or what gets called friendly f- fraud. Somebody purchases online and then disputes the charge for, for no other reason than they, they just want the money back. And then there's empty box fraud. Somebody takes your money and then ships you an empty box so that would be that would be the merchant side 
for fraud. There's also a return for coupon code, basically using goodwill policies against merchants and in the consumer. Does that cover just about the kinds of fraud that, that we're seeing out here that, that AI and other technologies can detect? Yes. Let's If we step back a bit and we think about mm-hmm. it, right? And this is where it becomes also over time really interesting is you basically yeah. have kind of two parts to the flow a merchant faces. One is the funnel, right? You're trying to mm-hmm. use spending marketing budget to acquire consumers, right? Then they come in, you hope they check out. After they check out, you fulfill the order. So there's the first part which we, we look at is, you know, until an order is placed. And then there's the fulfillment side, right? So abuse can happen in the funnel, right? And then mm-hmm. you can also have abuse in the fulfillment, or you can just have problems in the fulfillment. Think about an item that gets damaged in the process or lost or package that gets lost. At the end, the merchant right. has to decide, hey, this package, the consumer claims it was lost. Now, I have some information showing that there was a delivery and even maybe a signature, but the customer claims they didn't get it. Now I have to decide, is this customer telling the truth? Do I send him another product, the same product? Do I refund him the money? Or this is someone who got the package, doesn't want to pay and claim that they never got it. So I'm going to refund him the money and then he gets to keep the item. That's kind of one part. Now. Mm. When you think back as what I said between the funnel and the fulfillment, you can have problems that are abusive or, or just business problems across the entire funnel. Think about coupons, right? Merchants give them to consumers in order to acquire customers. Usually it's given to a subsegment of consumers, maybe first time consumers that have shopped previously but didn't come back for a while, right? What the merchant wants to do is to acquire the right type of consumers using that promotion and not to spend it on people that are going to abuse the promotion. So let's take an example, a food subscription business, right? Where you're basically providing a very, you hope that people remain in your subscription for a while. So your business on flow usually says, I'm willing to pay a lot to acquire them, go into the red even, give them their first four meals for free, which cost you like $50, $100 for the first month, and then you pay back over time, right? What mm-hmm. you usually can see there from an abuse pattern is that someone signs up for the service, cancels immediately after a month, and then opens another account two months later or immediately with a different identity on the merchant with the same coupon, and then until they get shut down, they're just getting free so- free food right that's exactly that's a very costly promotional abuse versus someone who sells items with profit and the coupon just erodes their margins a bit but they might be willing to sustain more promotional abuse over time so you get a lot of different businesses with a lot of different abuse patterns and every business has their own policies they have to implement in order to you know, remain as profitable as they can. Indeed. Uh, can you give us an idea of how manual these workflows used to be before AI? Uh, yeah. what, what was involved in terms of the, the workforce manpower or workforce power in terms of 
investigating these issues and getting to the bottom of, of, of what really happened? Yeah, I think the reality is today, it's still mostly manual for most of the merchants. I think it's a mix of a few complex problems, but when you bundle all of these problems together, it creates even a higher barrier. So the first problem that exists today, which forces kind of a manual system, is that the data is siloed, right? The order data at checkout is really completely separate from the logistics data that is related to fulfillment that might be separate from the CRM where the agents chat with consumers, right? So mm -hmm. the first challenge is unifying the data and even trusting the data, right? Let's say there's an abuse that is around empty boxes, right? So right. you assume that some consumers get the return items, print a label, but put miss items that are not what they should have been putting in the box and hope that no one notices. So you could say, hey, the data, if I had the data, it's great. But remember, someone has to open that box in the warehouse, scan it, and understand that, oh, I was supposed to see this item here. I'm not seeing it here. It's actually this item. And when you think about the amount of returns in the market, it's not such an easy problem to say, hey, I'm 100% accurate, right? So even when you right. think you have the data, sometimes it's just a proxy for the problem. But let's assume that you have a good enough indication. Then you have to pull all of these sources into one repository and connect them. This order had five items. This is a return on one of the items, right? In this date, mm -hmm. from this you know, using this label, right? So just understanding the flow is a major challenge for retailers today. At the end, they put agents on it. They go into a lot of um, systems and they give them like, you know, written policies on what to, to follow. And the crazy part is sometimes you have misaligned incentives. So some call centers incentivize agents to make the consumers happy to the extreme at any cost, which kind of encourages the abuse, right? So the good consumer right. experience that is understandable allows the very small part of abusers to kind of run ragged on those policies, right? So right. unfortunately, to, the, to your question, the answer is it's very, very manual today, and it's very, very complex because of there's data silos, then even if you have the data, the next step is just understanding the data. And there, this is one of the, back to where a lot of time machine learning and AI fits is you have to kind of un build machine learning models on top of the data to understand and help the business. One of the core parts of any solution in this ecosystem is the identity part, right? Because if right. you think about what does it take today to open an account with an online merchant, probably just an email, right? So you can create mm -hmm. many accounts with different emails to a merchant without a sophisticated system. These all look like separate accounts where uh, honestly it's just one identity and usually what abusers do is they create a lot of accounts and then they ran, run abuse on a lot of accounts 
right? Mm. So if you don't know these all accounts are linked to one identity, you can treat it as one entity that is now maybe a good customer, a consumer, or maybe a bad consumer, but you apply the policy to the entity and not to the account level. So it sounds like you've got a, involved here is you need enough data to know what's going into the funnel and how the funnel works before it gets to fulfillment. There's also, you brought it up just then, there's also a bit of a, a know your customer issue like there is in, in banking. And we see a lot of a lot of AI applications in banking go to know your customer. The thing is, in a banking relationship with a customer, they're asking for your social security number. They're asking for a lot of information to verify your identity for these merchants it's just all you need is an email and, and a a, an email and address and a phone number that's it so it's much you have far fewer data points to really know the customer but you have a know your customer problem right. and with that limited amount of information you're getting from customers that exacerbates the problem can you give us an idea of where ai fits in to articulate or give merchants and and the players here a better understanding of the funnel yeah so let's take a very good example that i think highlights all of the problems you right you can see and how you solve them let's take a very a very simple problem that every merchant that ships physical goods has some digital goods merchants also have them which is item not received right so mm -hmm. someone comes in places an order the order gets shipped and then a consumer calls in, says, I didn't get my package. Now a merchant has to decide, hey, what do I do? First of all, I have to decide, do I trust the consumer or not? And if I don't trust the consumer, do I deny him the claim? Do I warn him or do I give them in any case? So let's let's go through the whole, you know, mm -hmm. what a typical process looks like and what an optimized process would look like. So today, what we see a lot of times in the market is basically merchants have policy that are just, I would call it percentage-based or account-based. If you are claiming that two out of four packages you order did not arrive, on the third time you claim that the package didn't arrive, they're going to mark you as someone who's abusing the system because statistically, there shouldn't be a chance of this happening. Yes, right? yes. And then once the abusers, again, most of the consumers are good, right? The worst thing you want to do is deny a claim to a good consumer. But some of the, uh, the abusers know that, so they kind of work these flows. So what they do they do? They figure out kind of the reverse engineers, the, the policies, right? And they create multiple accounts. So once an account is shut down because it's the X, number of return out of y number of orders they just open another account and they keep doing it and they keep doing it and because the again the merchant can aggregate the identity across multiple accounts the abuse keeps happening okay yep now in addition then you have agent work involved in understanding what are the packages you know what are the what happened with the logistics the the package arrived, maybe got stuck at the warehouse, right? You don't want to, maybe this guy is now getting to return his third item out of five, but you know what? All three of the, two of the three items, actually there was a carrier problem, right? And you need to validate it, right? So that's kind of the mess that you have to deal with if you do it manually, right? Now, 
when you do it correctly and you have everything lined up from a data perspective, the order information flows in, the logistics information flows in, and the consumer and the claim information flows in, and you start to apply correct machine learning models that are trained to detect A identity, and they're also specifically per merchant's business. For example, they detect products like, let's say, Apple electronics that are, you know, you could see them being abused much more easily than someone who's buying socks, right? The resale right. value of Apple versus the resale. So the product mix also has to be tailored in into the in machine learning models. Then you start to do some interesting things. So you can say, look, when a consumer calls in and says that they didn't receive their item or the package wasn't received, you can say, well, this identity is good. I trust him. I can refund him the money, okay? No, this identity is bad. We're going to deny him the claim. Okay, we saved money downstream. But then we can say, like, this guy keeps abusing the system. We're going to block him at checkout, right? So you save the entire problem. Now, the really exciting thing about that is once you can segregate the bad abusers, you can, a merchant can also say to himself, okay, we are blocking the bad claims. We are also blocking the really, really bad abusers at checkout that keep doing it. But I still have this area where I keep losing packages and I know that these are not abusers because there's port theft there. So the consumers are good, but someone right. is stealing packages. Now I can change maybe my shipping ways to prevent this problem from happening, right? So you took the abuse right. problem and now because you solved the abuse problem, the merchant can solve the non-abuse problem and say, hey, I'm going to require a signature in these areas. I'm going to change my shipping time when people are at home. Or I'm going to ask them, hey, this item, you need to pick it up in the store. So you solve by doing one part, you basically benefit and you solve a lot more problems for the merchants. Indeed, indeed. You've mentioned machine learning a few, a few times here, but what yeah. you just described to me, there's a broad application, broad similarities. We discussed the similarities between, uh, you know, know your customer for where AI enters into banking and, and financial services uh, workflows. But here, I this sounds like predictive analytics, or at least more specifically, what we see in manufacturing when it comes to, you know, predictive shipments, Making right. sure that what, when you're sending something, it's arriving, and th that's a huge AI application in, right. um, yes, in manufacturing. In your mind, what are the big differences there in terms of how AI is applied? Yeah, I think you've nailed it in how you described it, and I think there are what you, what kind of the nuance that gets missed a lot is that you can do the predictive stuff without good machine learning models to apply the predictive stuff to. What I mean is, if you try to do the predictive stuff without the machine learning models that highlight the real identities behind the accounts, you're just going to do bad predictive analytics because mm -hmm. you're, going, you're not going to understand that one identity has 10 accounts versus 
one identity that has one account, right? So you, what mm -hmm. you're going to do is you're going to look, treat as the same 10 accounts that an abuser has, right? As mm -hmm. different entities, and you're going to do predict bad predictive, right? You're just going to right. predict it in the wrong way, right? So it's almost like the base layer to do any prediction is a lot of machine learning. And then you can apply the predictive and, you know, I guess more even sometimes machine learning models that that, that are running almost on top of the base machine learning models, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what gets missed a lot in the industry today is that you have to have a very sophisticated base layer to then bring your business to a higher efficiency level, right? And mm -hmm. that's the key part because you need to have the expertise from a wide network of merchants, right? That you see a lot of identities across the network. Then you need to be able to see, okay, what's happening in the entire network and cleanse the data and build the machine learning and then say, okay, this is a bad consumer. This is a good consumer. What policy do you want to apply to a good consumer? What policy do you want to a bad consumer? What policy do you want to apply to a good consumer? that is in a bad area that has a high loss rate because you know that the base layer is accurate, right? If the right. base layer is accurate, you can actually make the problem a lot worse. You can deny good consumer that live in a bad area because you think all of them are abusers and then you're just hurting your good consumers while the bad abusers go under the radar and keep getting their goods and get their refunds. So so a good consumer might be somebody who they live next to a warehouse where somebody's taking the boxes and they have two in a row. They're almost on strike three, but it's really it's really the warehouse. That might be an example of that. Right. Or oh, what we see a lot of times today is just people driving around and picking up boxes in completely residential neighborhoods. But when you have an aggregate right. of the whole neighborhood, you can see, hey, all of these consumers aren't good consumers, but suddenly this whole neighborhood is losing packages. That's something probably a merchant doesn't see alone. Mm -hmm. You need a network. And even if it sees alone, he doesn't, is not able to, you know, an agent looking at it on a screen doing manual work, he won't say, he won't have a map saying, well, actually there's a spike in the lost packages in this area now. Please pay attention. It might be like a lost package. Right. That's something computers can do, not agents. So that's exactly how you apply the technology, again, to solve real business problems. Because think about something, a package that costs $100. Someone claims right. it's lost. Someone is going to lose $100 now. It's either the consumer or the merchants or the cost of merchandise or the refund. It's a lot of money. Yeah, we see a huge amount of losses, and we are able to optimize it for a lot of our merchants by, you know, it could be tens of millions of dollars. Right, of course. It, it, and just to put a finer point on 
where where you're pulling. You, you mentioned that the merchant can't see that alone, and com- computers have to see it. Are you, are you also pulling from some sort of public repository for that kind of information to detect, you know, somebody stealing packages from from a neighborhood? I, I would understand if Amazon has that much data going into it that they would know how a specific neighborhood th- that there might be somebody stealing packages. But how does a smaller merchant leveraging an AI solution? Where is that pulling from? So essentially, you, you said something correct. At the end, a small merchant has to benefit from a bigger network, right? Right. Now, Amazon has a huge unfair advantage in the market that's not necessarily on data is that they control the last mile. That's why if you see your, uh, you know, every time you get something from Amazon, or a lot of times they take a picture of the package on your porch, yeah. right? It's not only for your sake to right, know that right. the package was delivered. There's always a proof that you can claim that it was not delivered, right? Right. A lot of other merchants don't have the logistics or almost, you know, 99% of the market don't have the logistics that Amazon has. So that's an unfair advantage to Amazon. But as a merchant, what you need to benefit from is a much larger network that is way bigger than what you see, which involves a lot of enrichment of the data sources and also just looking at the data, which is kind of when we go to merchants a lot of time, that's what we provide them in the underlying decisioning, they get to benefit from a much bigger data set, right? Mm -hmm. And a much higher level of accuracy because the patterns we see as as real time, right? We basically, if you think about someone who's selling home goods is only going to benefit from seeing their type of, you know, their side of view of the customer, the people who buy home goods. They're not going to see the people who are buying luxury items right. or the people that are buying, I don't know, pet food, right? right? There's an overlap in the consumer base, but it's from a very narrow. When we look at it from this, we're saying, okay, this consumer likes to buy stuff for the house, but he also has pets, right? Right. And he also, you know, the household also buys luxury. So we see a lot more of that cross-functional consumer behavior. Indeed, indeed. Eyal, thank you so much for being with us. I think that just about wraps up my questions. We really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Before we wrap up today's episode, I'd like to make a plug for the other three programs that will be featured in this series, sponsored by Riskified and focusing on data challenges in retail and e-commerce. All of these episodes are part of a special Thursday series. We'll be featuring guests Instacart COO Asha Sharma on May 11th, Gap Incorporated Senior Vice President and Head of Asset Protection Chris Nelson on June 1st, and Etsy Vice President of Analytics and Strategic Finance Gerald Vandenberg on June 22nd. Very, very lively conversations. I I remember especially uh, the conversation between Daniel Fagella, head of research here at Emerge and our CEO, and Asha being of particular note, especially for boiling down the impact of personalization in these spaces. Very, very intriguing stuff. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us on the AI in Business podcast, and we'll catch you next time.